Pride Nation 101. You have just stumbled onto Pride Nation 101. Queer music, stories, opinions, and lives from Mendocino County and beyond. I'm Roland Corey Medina. And I'm Chad Swimmer. Welcome. Welcome back to Pride Nation 101. This is episode four. I'm Roland Corey Medina. And I'm Chad Swimmer. Today we have for you the warm and fuzzy family values episode. First, we're going to hear from Willow Anderson and Vicki Whitehead of the Mendocino County Department of Social Services about how you, too, can create your own DIY loving queer foster family. It's all the rage these days. You don't want to miss out. Mm -hmm. Next, we're going to be profiling a local queer-owned business. Sneaker Wave DTFB. And then we're going to learn some great new words from two great dykes. What? Did you get permission to say that? Mm, I think so. I better text them now. But anyway, two great lesbian friends of ours are going to have you in stitches, talking about getting married and having a beautiful baby. Thanks for tuning in to Pride Nation 101. <laughs> We're on the line with Willow Anderson and Vicki Whitehead from the Mendocino County Department of Social Services. How are you folks doing today? Good. Thanks for being with us. I'd like to start is, what is the basic sequence of events that would end up with a young person being placed in a foster family? So um, when a child is first removed from their parents, the agency's first responsibility is to find an appropriate family member to care for them. So the agency does an active search for family who are willing to care for the child and to support the child um, or to support the child remaining connected while they're in care. Um, if a family member can't be found, then the agency places the child in a community home while supporting the parents and reunifying with that child or youth. So is there a need for more foster families in general and for families open to LGBTQIA youth in particular? Well, we're always in need of individuals and families who have the capacity and willingness to be open-minded to care for teens. Um, Adolescence is the time of transformation, and all those changes take place at the same time. So teens need a safe, understanding adult to support them as they navigate turning away from childhood. I mean, I think teens are the population that um, are the most difficult to find homes for. So if, uh, if we had listeners who wanted to become foster parents or foster family, how would they go about doing it? So they can um, contact um, my supervisor, Lindsay Coe, um, and her phone number is 467-5893. And we also have the website, the MendocinoCounty.org website, and they can follow the links. That is Lindsay Coke, 467-5893. And then once they've contacted you, what is um, the process of actually becoming a foster family or becoming certified? There is um, the resource family approval process, um, and they would work with a resource family approval social worker on that process. There's a comprehensive assessment that's done. Then that includes home inspection. It includes um, getting fingerprinted. It um, includes um, family interviews to assess what their strengths are, any extra support that we might need to give them. And they would have a social worker that would support them through that process. Mm -hmm. So full disclosure, as you probably know, that Roland was our foster teen and is now 18, so he is emancipated. But he had a need for a home right at the start of the pandemic. And the the process kind of got jumped through and i realized probably because of necessity that this was a good place for him to be but it seemed like a thorough process although i don't know this is a question roland has and maybe you can get into it so one of the things that i was very worried about is if i would have to be placed with a foster family that was not accepting either of me and my trauma and my mental issues or my 
identity. Are there ever any worries that you folks have and that you try to kind of close in on of placing transgender and LGBTQ kids with transphobic and homophobic families and social workers? So that's part of that family evaluation process that the social worker does when they do the interviews. We discuss a broad range of topics with the applicants. We go back into their childhood. Um, we talk about their relationships. We talk about what kind of home they grew up in as a child. Um, because what we're looking for is what their strengths are, where they might need support, and what would be the best child or youth to be placed in their care. Because we want that goodness of fit. So that's the process that we use to find out whether uh, a transgender or queer youth would be um, would, would fit in that home. Because that's what we want. We want a goodness of fit. Um, and that's part of that process. Along the same lines, we have worked with a number of social workers, both ourselves and to be clear to, to listeners that the family has one social worker and the youth has a different social worker. And for reasons that we didn't quite understand, uh, Roland's social worker changed a few times. And one of the social workers was really not very accepting of the transition process. And this was a challenge for all of us. And uh, I would like Roland to say a little bit to this and then maybe you can see if you can um, help us out with this. So first of all, she never met with me, not once at all, which was a huge part of her job, you know, but somehow she was still able to write court reports about me. We don't know why she never bothered to come see me, but, you know, we dealt with it as in I complained a lot and my foster parents complained a lot to each other. And she was not pursuing any of the things that I wanted her to. Like I put my transition and my transition needs at the top of the list. They were very high up there, like changing my name, changing my gender marker on any identification, starting the roadblocks, like start, like starting to build up the roadblocks to get top surgery. And she did not want to touch them. <laughs> she left it all alone. And eventually we complained enough so that we got a social worker who was actually very willing to help. And it's very hard because, you know, we were looking at a lot of, of research and new studies have come out that have shown that this um, assisting transition has really, really helped young people in lowering depression and lowering suicidal ideation. And that was definitely an issue and it was very frustrating. I mean, what I can say about that is that, you know, social workers, they have education and experience to work with family and children from diverse backgrounds. Um, we're required to do yearly trainings but in a situation like that, you know, the agency takes it seriously. And if, the, if we can't work to mitigate the concerns, then it may be not a good fit. And it sounds like that's what happened in that situation. Willow, you had a question. I just wanted to add to thank you, Roland, for sharing that. And it's important for us all to know those situations and how youth and, and families feel because without having you voice your concerns, then we as an agency may not know to address those issues. So it's really important for youth and families to feel comfortable voicing concerns and in turn that you feel comfortable that we're hearing you. So um, thank you for, for sharing that at the time and now, because it really, social workers are people and you know, for us, the more we know where there's deficits or areas where we can improve, uh, the better the services are. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So what would uh, foster youth have as a recourse if they were placed in a family that was not working out? Well, you know, we encourage our youth to have a voice and express their feelings and opinions. And, and, and we recognize that it's hard to have a voice if your voice has never been recognized in the past. Mm -hmm. So we have the Arbor, which is um, a youth resource center um, to reach out to, to get some support and in, in finding your voice. Um, we also have the child and family team meeting, um, which the goal is, is youth voice and choice. And it's during those meetings that 
we talk about what's working, okay? Um, what are our worries? And then what are our next steps? Um, and a youth can have whoever they want on their team to support them, social worker, teachers, therapists, their, their care providers. So those are just a couple of um, examples of what a youth can uh, access to seek support. Well, thanks a ton for being with us, Vicki and Willow. This yeah, is... we really appreciate it. Is there anything you'd like to add? Thank you for having us. I want to give a plug to this very time slot all through the month. This coming Friday night at 7 and every second and fourth Friday, tune in to Pride Radio Mendocino with Corporal Sin and Terry, an hour of music and news from Mendocino County's LGBTQIA community. Pride Radio Mendocino. Put on your dancing shoes and invite your friends over. On the third Fridays, get ready for Mendocino high schoolers playing around with radio equipment a dangerous and tempting combination. The occasional Fifth Friday, we have Wild Women, an intersectional feminist broadcast focused on contemporary and historical issues that specifically impact the lives of women with Alicia Bales and Lux Karpov. Their next show will be April 29th. And that brings us back to First Fridays at 7 p.m. Pride Nation 101, queer voices, music, opinions, and lives from Mendocino County and beyond. Fridays at 7 p.m. on KZYX are not to be missed. Welcome back to Pride Nation 101. My name is Roland Corey Medina. And we have a new segment starting tonight. The Queer Coast Business Corner, helping you support your tribe. I'm here on Franklin Street across from the Tip Top Lounge at Sneaker Wave DTFB with owner and proprietor West. How's it going? Good. How are you? I am excellent. I'm very excited to be here. This is the first time I've been in here. It is beautiful. Thank you. So much support for local artists. I love it. I'm a very artsy person. I draw so much. Wow. The dream would be to be featured in one of these places. It's, I would be so proud if I were you. <laughs> oh, thanks. So how do you identify? Yeah, I identify as queer and genderqueer. And how long have you been in Mendocino County, or Fort Braggs more specifically? I've been up here for a year and a half now. And where did you move from? I came from the Bay through Sonoma County. And would you yeah. say this place is very accepting? Yeah, I've been surprised. I feel like Mendocino County is very, like, a lot of people here don't like labels, which for me in the beginning I thought, oh, that's maybe going to be a problem, but now I've kind of settled into it and like realized that people really do mean that they don't really care what you are, who you are, as long as you're like a good neighbor, a good person, and that's kind of like the emphasis. When did you first get the idea to open up this place? I got this idea when I needed to find a place for my e-commerce business and I just need a little space and I found that retail was suffering and a lot a lot of the windows were empty uh, in town and I thought oh I, maybe I could like put something in the window and run my business in the back and then I started meeting more people who make things and create and artists and they you know need a place to sell their stuff so it kind of all worked out to have both in one building. Would you say you sell kind of a specific genre of products? Yeah, I think it's mostly eco-friendly, upcycled, natural. There's like not a lot of plastic in the products and it's definitely local, kind of nature-inspired, functional objects. Yeah. And would you connect this shop to any great cause that you have in your heart? Yeah, I think I just want, you know, like everyone probably, the world to be a better place. And so my idea of doing that is to get rid of plastic and have local economies based on local kind of natural goods. What kind of renewable resources that we have here? What can we use and what can we sell to tourists and what can we sell to each other? And, you know, creating a locally based economy. It sounds like you're doing a great thing here and it sounds like you're doing it well. When can people come into the shop and take their own look? 
We are open Wednesday afternoons around the time of the farmer's market. So it's great to come to both locally supported owned moments. We're also open on Friday afternoon and Saturday morning and sometimes Sunday morning. And then for first Friday also. We're here for the community stuff, basically, is how you can remember. Okay, you can follow Sneaker Wave on Instagram at sneaker underscore wave underscore DTFB. Yes, which is downtown Fort Bragg. That's awesome. DTFB. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me for this. This has been awesome. Sure, thanks for coming. Winning is Losing is And we would like to let you know that we are going to have some Pride Nation 101 bumper stickers with the art done by our friend... Me. Roland. <laughs> and they will be available at SneakerWave DTFB probably by the time this show airs. Disclaimer, I'm not a graphic designer nor a graphic artist, but I like drawing and I'm kind of good at it. So humble. <laughs> Castle by Ani DeFranco. You're listening to Pride Nation 101 with Roland Corey Medina and myself, Chad Swimmer, on KZYX. We're speaking with Alice and Emily O'Rourke Mills, and we wanted to ask them how they would like to be introduced. And mostly, they just want to say they both identify as she, her, they both identify as queer dykes, but mostly they identify as exhausted parents in this moment. So, Alice, how are you doing? I'm I'm exhausted, but I'm good. We uh, we have a lovely 12 month old who started daycare four months ago, and so we are riding the the daycare crud wave of illness after illness. But we're good. Oh, but that's important for the immune system. Yeah, it's from what we hear, we're going to have a much better kindergarten year than those who wait until that long to start school. So we're just getting it done with it early. Yeah, well, congratulations on a whole year. It's the big year. Thank you. It is. Big one. It's been an amazing year, the best year of my life. Also, I probably remember less of it than any other year of my life because of no sleep. No, it is so good to see you again. We've met once before, and I met your baby as well. He was adorable, so cute, so bubbly. I don't usually like babies, so it's rare for me to say that. Now, I grew up in Fort Bragg. I've never lived anywhere else. And where were you born exactly? I was born in Wallala, in the living room of the same house where my parents still live. That's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty unique story for people who don't come from there. I feel like I'm not that unique for people from the coast, but whenever people from cities meet me, they're like, wait, what? There was no hospital? <laughs> <laughs> When did you first realize, or did you even have a memory of when you first realized that you were gay? I'm not sure, actually. I look, I feel like it's sort of a queer rite of passage, or was when I was coming out, to kind of find your, your moments, that your, your kind of origin story. I remember things like decorating my locker and having pictures of girls in bikinis and I don't know I thought they were gorgeous and I just kind of remember thinking everyone does this it's totally normal it's not a big deal (laughs) 
and or like not even thinking about it. Um, looking back, I remember more like New Kids on the Block. Everyone was like having crushes on one of the New Kids on the Block guys. And I just thought that meant that you chose one of them and said that you liked him. So I chose Joey, which looking back, very queer looking, looks like a lesbian. Um, I don't think it was until, I mean, probably college, the beginning of college that I put those kind of pieces together. I never actually came out. I didn't feel like I needed to once mm-hmm. I, I mean, I knew I was gay, but I wasn't into the whole, like here, everyone must hear this giant dramatic story from me. I just wanted to be accepted as normal again, probably how I've lived my whole life. Like just normalizing everything about myself and everyone else. So at college graduation, I introduced my entire family to my girlfriend, but I never really came out. I didn't say I'm gay. And here's my girlfriend. I said, this is my girlfriend. And I kissed her. That's so cute. <laughs> well, you were at Point Arena High School, right? I went to Point Arena High School. I was not out in high school. Mostly what I remember about high school was a deep desire to get out and to, to just, I knew that what I wanted for my life wouldn't be possible staying on the coast. I think that in some way, I definitely was thinking that there was some queerness. I, I was toying with queerness. I visited colleges. I ended up going to a women's college. Mm-hmm. And I I remember touring the campus, just seeing a lot of lesbian couples walking around, thinking to myself, well, I don't know if I'm gay, but if I am, this is re- going to be a really good place to be. <laughs> <laughs> that turned out to be very true. When I was 10, <laughs> I was in fifth grade. And in May... We went to see my sister graduate from Smith College, which is an all-women school in Northampton. Massachusetts. And I really liked the feel of the city itself because it was so far from Fort Bragg. And I had, since that age and even younger, been had like been full of this feeling of just mm-hmm. wanting to get away and wanting to escape. And yeah. we go to Northampton and I see these <laughs> these lesbian couples just swarming the streets. And then at some point, my sister's bringing boxes down from her room in her in her like sorority house. And there's a girl who's saying bye, and she's next to her parents. My parents are behind us, and she just swoops in and gives her a kiss on the cheek. And I was like flabbergasted, and I said, "Oh my god, this is great! Like I want to go to Smith College." Hey, you know, I went to Smith College. You did? <laughs> I t- yes, I did. I took two classes at Smith College in drag. <laughs> <laughs> no, they actually allow students from other colleges to take classes there, and it was it corrupted me totally. Yeah, plus they take male grad yeah. students, so after I came out as trans, I yeah. decided there's still a way for me to go to Smith College, but then I dropped that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to be a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> so, would you do you have any advice that you would give to young lesbians, or I should say, young dykes, how <laughs> would how they could help find themselves? Just listen to yourself. There is somewhat of a search maybe like to go out and see other places and do other things if you're growing up in a small town because everything can feel stifling whether or not you're queer, I think. But just listen to yourself, have experiences and go try anything and everything that you can in life and pay attention to what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. That's all, really. I mean, I don't, it's nothing profound other than like trust yourself, you know. That's big. That's very profound. For a lot of kids who don't feel accepted, trusting yourself is a is a big deal. I can see how it, could, it definitely could be. Yeah. It just wasn't my experience. And I have no idea if that was just me or maybe. Let's give credit to my parents and well, my new mom. I think let's give all the credit to my parents because clearly this this is hard and they, they must have done everything. You are listening to Pride Nation 101 with Chad Swimmer and Roland Corey Medina. And since we are talking about families and kids, I want to talk about a family and kids show. This Sunday at noon, Radio Ha Ha for Kids and their families and friends celebrates the fascinating world of mushrooms and fungi. 
hosted by Jim Beatty, the Dancing Grandpa. Radio Ha Ha features songs, dance, stories, the listening game, jokes, riddles, fun facts, and more. It's fun family radio, listening fun for everyone, young, old, and in between. Tune in and dance, sing, play. Every Sunday at noon, right here on KZYX and Z. And let's go back to our talk with Alice and Emily O'Rourke Mills. Emily, oh. you you were you are from Colorado. Where were you born? I was born in Greeley, Colorado, and grew up um, in Loveland until I was twenty-seven. So, am I correct that you are from a pretty religious family? Yeah, my parents are lovely, caring, supportive Catholic Republicans. Mm-hmm. Were you able to be out with them when you were young? No, abs. I was listening to Alice give answers to you all, and I was like, wow, that is so different. Just so different from my experience. I think I knew from a pretty young age that, that I was queer, uh, but I was also really terrified about that for a very, very long time. I would say until I was probably in my mid-20s, I was pretty scared of that reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I for me, it was all about hell. It was all about going to hell. Spirit, I was really involved in my faith community. I went to youth group. I taught little kids about Catholicism. I was in a church choir. Like that was an important part of my identity. I think because it was an important part of my family's identity, right? Like my mother grew up Catholic and my father converted to Catholicism when I was eight. We had our first communion on the same day. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was a really important value in my family. And like humans are pack animals, man. You don't want to be kicked out of your pack. Mm-hmm. And that was always my biggest fear. Hell and uh, being kicked out of your family. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was what queerness meant to me. Yeah. Was so, hell and being kicked out of, kicked out of your family. And you have a sister who's, who's queer. Is she older or younger? She is younger. I am the oldest. Uh, my middle sister is also queer. And my youngest sister, we call the great heterosexual hope. Although um, <laughs> I think it would be really great if her name was actually Hope. I know. I think she earns a, an honorary queer card. She is a really, really good ally. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Although I imagine like, and I imagine it was not easy to grow up having the weight of that on your shoulders yeah yeah i got one of those but she's not so great an ally mm. that's too bad that's <laughs> really too bad well that's fine it doesn't break my heart anymore <laughs> siblings you know siblings really have the power to like make our way in the world so much easier or more difficult based on the relationship yeah so how were your parents with you getting married to alice um Theoretically, they were fine about it. My parents, I think, as I have, I mean, Alice and I are in this part of our lives where we're developing as parents, right? That's a developmental process as much as anything else. And it's more like I always, hmm, let me make sure this is true. I always knew my parents loved me. I didn't, wasn't always so certain of their acceptance. Mm Mm-hmm or their approval. And I wasn't sure, like I was pretty sure that they could love me from afar if they had to. Like they would still love me, but they might not approve of me. I remember when Alice and I were engaged, there were lots of tearful moments when we were planning our wedding because as the oldest, I was the last one to get married. And I had witnessed my mother's involvement in my youngest sister, the great heterosexual hopes wedding. Um, (laughs) And to not have that for my wedding, I tried to be like really understanding, but it was also painful. I can't imagine what it would be like to be afraid for Benji's immortal soul to think that I just don't, I can't imagine. So I, at this point in my life, after like lots of therapy, getting sober, being in my late thirties, I can be like, yep, I see where they were coming from although at times in my life that's been a lot harder yeah um when we got married my dad was at our actual wedding ceremony my mom didn't come it was too hard for her she came 
<laughs> she made it for the pictures. <laughs> some of them. Some of them she has her purse on her shoulder. Oh my god. Oh. Like, let's see how what almost five years after we got married, my parents love Alice. Maybe more than me. They might keep her in the divorce. <laughs> let's not get no divorce. No divorce. <laughs> no. Yeah, we're moving in with them again because house hunting is ridiculous. Oh right my god, now. it's Anyone so terrible. Wow. Don't try and buy a house. No, uh, no, no, that's not true. Don't listen to Alice. She gets very fatalistic about some things. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. But we're moving into their basement again, and it's incredibly generous. And we're thinking about, we're trying actively every single day to buy a house in my in or near my hometown. If you had told, like, 16-year-old me that this was going to be my life today, I would have been like, you are on some drugs and they are bad drugs. <laughs> it's right now, like our relationship with my parents, our relationship with your parents, watching them develop their relationship with Benji makes it really possible to overlook a lot of things. Yeah. So I was wondering when you two got together, was having children a part of the discussion immediately? I think pretty close to immediately. I think we very early on kind of had some honest conversations about what we saw for our lives. Yeah, I think honest conversation is a great um, phrase for what actually our first few months mm -hmm. of dating was. <laughs> and of like realizing what dating could be. I think yeah. our values were aligned in a lot of ways. They were. And we talked about that constantly. We did. We did talk. So, Back to his question, which was, did we talk about kids early on? I'm going to say yes, because I'm pretty sure we talked about almost everything early on. We talked about a lot early on. So we are going to jump ahead and get to the bun in the oven, that little bundle of joy, Benji. Roland has a question that gets to the baby part of things. Yeah. There are <laughs> plenty of ways for queer people to have babies nowadays. Mm -hmm. which way did you guys pick? When did you know that was the way you wanted to go with? And how smoothly did it go for you guys? Great question. So, okay, wait, what are you There's talking about? Alice was parts. more open to adoption than I was. I was, I'm a psychotherapist. I've worked in high intensity, high acuity kind of settings for many, many years. I sort of felt like if I'm going to keep being a psychotherapist in these high acuity settings and be a mom, I don't know. I don't know that I could be the right mom for a foster kid um, or shut, a kid who had... Me like that. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, no. Say that again, Roland. I, Chad whipped around and smiled at me and I told him not to look at me like that. <laughs> I would be your perfect guinea pig, Emily. <laughs> you, you know what, Roland? This was before I knew you. And had I known you then, I might have felt very differently <laughs> because I think you're so cool. Oh, well, I'm... Dude, I didn't even know I was traumatized until after I moved in. <laughs> Wait a minute. I promise That's I didn't. what everyone says. No, because then afterwards, CPS was all like, no, you were abused. And I said, really? <laughs> so we decided we wanted to try and get pregnant. I One of my first jobs out of college was at a fertility clinic. Um, so I knew <laughs> all of the now possibly slightly dated information. Possibly slightly dated. <laughs> I mean, the basics, I, I was able to educate you on the whole, the whole way. Uh, but all of the, the processes of IUIs, IVF, the options for having someone else's eggs and somebody else's body, um, all that kind of stuff. I was, you know, I had memory of from a long time ago in my life and knew the most important factor, which was our age, because eggs, sadly... Um, don't last nearly as long as sperm. And I knew that age would be a factor for us trying anything of the quote unquote easy or more natural route. But of course, money is money. And right. we, um, I think actually at the beginning, we were pretty adamant that we weren't going to no. try IVF. Well, we might be a, an overstatement. Alice was adamant that we weren't going to try IVF because clearly we were too old and it wouldn't be successful. It would be a lot of money to make zero eggs. A lot of money to make zero eggs or 
to make like crotchety old broken eggs. Oh, <laughs> it wouldn't do us shit. any good. But right. But I also <laughs> I also only have one ovary, so I knew that I was not going to be a full participant. <laughs> I couldn't play as Literally. hard as I wanted to play. So this is all like we're getting into the weeds here. We asked a friend of ours to donate sperm. Should we say that story though? Because Emily, it was like, what do you mean you can find sperm? You're not going to find any sperm. I was, this is not, you don't have sperm. There is a lot around. (laughs) There's a lot around, but like, who's going to give it to us? (laughs) But I've been, I've been clocking people my entire life being like, that's going to be a sperm daddy. That's a sperm daddy. Um, (laughs) Oh god, or spunkle? Terrible term. That yeah, we there are many bad words. Terrible. I have never heard this. People say really dumb things yeah. a lot Who? when you're in this process. Um, spunkle is the one that I remember. It's the worst one, and it's yeah. terrible. Never say it again. But was it but, important to you that this this spunkle was queer? Yeah, it was. I guess you know what? All of my options in my brain that I was like, I can ask these people. They were all queer. Um, so probably. That was yeah. important to me. Although I don't know that I have any straight guy friends. I also <laughs> think the other thing, the other thing that I think was important about our our chosen spunkle was like openness to being sort of involved. Like I wanted our kid to know that's me. I wanted our kid to to know as much as they could about their other parent. So more of like queering family. Um, I wanted to be able to queer family in kind of every way possible. I don't remember this at all. What I remember is I was like, I can get a sperm in 10 minutes. What do you like? We have other things to sperm's not the problem here. I was and like, Emily was like, I don't believe you. She was nervously washing dishes like she does when she watches a football game and it's too close of a match and she just can't <laughs> do anything else but nervously wash the dishes. Wait, get so this guys. Dykes watch what? football. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I am one of those. I am the football watching dyke in this relationship. Okay, cool. <laughs> and I do it to appease everybody. Um, but so I make a phone call, and also, ten minutes later, we had we had an it was availability like, of sperm. It sperm was, was not at the door. Sperm was not at the door. <laughs> but this friend of ours agreed to donate, and it was not a gentle conversation. No. It was like, hey, can we have some sperm? We want to have a baby. No, I don't have <laughs> gentle conversations. I was horrified. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what would happen is our sperm donor would, I would be, we would be peeing on these ovulation sticks that would like light up flashy smiley faces when you were at your peak fertility. <laughs> our sperm donor would come over, provide us with a sample, and we would put the sample where it needed to go. Because, of course, here's the other thing when you start be as a queer couple, when you start trying to have a baby, everybody talks about their friends, cousins, uncles, brothers, neighbor's sister got pregnant this way. <laughs> so you think you're going to get pregnant that way, too? And it was so easy. And it was the first time at a Starbucks bathroom and it was fine. And that that's that, such that bullshit. was. Yeah. My advice <laughs> for <laughs> queer couples, young um anybody really start talking to a reproductive endocrinologist soon you don't just because you're talking to them doesn't mean you have to do something expensive but they will lay out all of your options for you and it's gonna change the game Mm -hmm. from trying to figure out what language that book is written in to being something that is written by you practically in your own so nice. we tried wow. these at home um, inseminations. They didn't work. We tried medicated cycles. So I took, I took Clomid, which made me not a very kind person. Um, and then we tried a medication called Femera. None of these worked, although I think probably on my last try, uh, I had a chemical pregnancy. My period was super late. I had a one test that looked positive and then it just got lighter and lighter. Um, and then I think we decided to talk to an IVF doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that spans that timeline is from nine months before we got married mm-hmm. through till 
maybe two years, almost a year and a half after we got married. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of trying and trying to talk about options. So talking to a reproductive endocrinologist in San Francisco, being told that there are all of these factors against us. And then really shortly after that, also deciding to move to Colorado. Right. So we were in the Bay Area for all of this and then decided to. So I have to say, we were at a facility, a medical facility in the Bay Area. I was going back for an an IUI. Um, The nurse kind of pulled me aside and she was like, so you have a wife? I was like, yes, I do. And she said, and you know your donor? I said, yes, I do. She's like, okay, because we weren't sure. We just wanted to be clear. We don't see that a lot. It was so weird. <laughs> yeah, they don't have a lot of people coming to give the sperm, I guess. They just get canisters. Wow. Oh, God. God. You, you know, I, I have a, a question, and this could get really deep, but I don't know if we want to go too deep with it. But is there paperwork involved between oh, yeah. a person so, and a sperm yeah, donor? We skipped, we skipped the the beginning stages, I guess, before we did anything, we talked to a lawyer about drawing up paperwork so that from the onset, our donor has no um, parental rights for any child that is conceived via his sperm. And at that point, it was either of our eggs. Right. Um, and yeah. And no responsibility. I think that it's we- to protect both parties. Right. Yeah. And it was really, I mean, it wasn't the cheapest thing in the world, but it also wasn't the most expensive. It was certainly not the most expensive part of the entire thing, no. Uh, But it wasn't, it's given us a lot of peace. So much so that I haven't technically adopted Benji yet. I I just haven't had time. Um, I mean, I caught him coming out of you. I know, but the world is crazy and you just don't know. More football. So, yes, there was paperwork. <laughs> Every time we did anything in a medical facility, I had to like sign that I was consenting to using this sperm. Yeah. And that we actually, that we had already tried at home. outside of the doctor's office because I don't, I, I don't know if this is only gay sperm. I don't either. But they are very worried that the doctor, if that sperm has the, HIV or another STI and they are the one to introduce it to you for the first time, that would be them being liable to that. So you need to have quote unquote tried at home first, which we had. Um, but it wasn't, that whole process was so strange. And my 20 year old information, gay people were not allowed to donate at that point nor blood so, nor blood yeah I, and that's right i was not allowed I, to donate blood as a bisexual man shame and i think that that's still the case i think that gay and bisexual men aren't allowed to donate blood yeah that law has not been changed yet <sighs> i think they're working on it but it's just ridiculous yeah so there are bi- there were barriers like both kind of practical our donor traveled a lot <laughs> there were emotional barriers every time a cycle failed it was really emotionally hard for me alice had more kind of steady faith the whole time but i was a wreck every time yeah and well then i think that steady faith is sort of at the heart of what i wanted out of building this family from all this queerness was we we are bringing more love into this world that's why we wanted a known donor Mm -hmm. that's why we wanted more people to love this child the more people that love you is not ever a bad thing and having more people in his corner is only going to serve him well so he's got a relationship with his donor but and he's got you're getting way ahead of the game we weren't we weren't they can cut things you're being annoying we weren't (laughs) sure that there was ever going to be a kid to be in anybody's corner at that point no, I was still saying all this. I know. It drove me crazy. <laughs> it drove me so crazy. <laughs> I was saying that no matter what, that's, this is what we're building. She had that very clear vision and I was really anxious. Yeah. But we were also using Emily's body. I had very little 
<laughs> physical <laughs> input at all. So most of my energy was trying to go into positive thought. A lot of um, time spent thinking about how we would organize oh my God. everything. So we moved to Colorado. Alice got a job at a fertility clinic, Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine. Oops, I'm not supposed to say that. Alice got a job at a fertility clinic. <laughs> um, we had assumed there would be some kind of discount. There was, but it was paltry. <laughs> it was a very small discount. Uh, we had a meltdown about that very tiny discount. And then Alice and went. And then also they said, because you're an employee here, you can't be a patient. And I was like, what? <laughs> you have to go to a different state. Oh my God. So it all ended up working out. We went to the doctor that had amazing rates in Minnesota where Emily's sister lives. Yeah. Um, we, once, once we went the IVF route, everything, everything got better. Everything got easier, mm-hmm. more like. There was a very clear and defined path and we just followed it. Literally, they give you a binder yeah, and they say, here's the tabs for all of the different stages that we're going to go through here. You're going to do this medication and then this medication. And yeah. And even with that, we, so we did our egg retrieval at the end of February, 2020. So there were already starting to be these murmurs about, this new virus that seemed to be spreading really quickly. Our, our, we did our, our egg retrieval. We, you know, did all that stuff. We found out we had eight genetically healthy embryos. And then our frozen cycle was put off because you couldn't, all elective medical procedures were canceled. Yeah. Yay, pandemic. I would, and then we got back on the schedule. COVID was raging. We decided not to fly. We were going to drive from Colorado to Minnesota. We got in the car. We stayed one night in South Dakota, and then we were driving through the Badlands when my brother-in-law called and said, don't come to St. Paul tonight because the city was rioting because George Floyd had been murdered. So we had to move where we were staying like, and we were driving into the Twin Cities as the highway was being closed. You could smell smoke. There were we were tanks li- everywhere. There were tanks everywhere. We were listening to Minnesota Public Radio. We were trying to get into wow. Fort Perfume. Yeah. The next day when we drove to see my sister and her family, we drove by neighborhoods that had burned out cars in the streets. It was really, really intense. And that same week, my dad's mother died at the beginning of the week, and my mother's mother died at the end of the week. Whoa. That was super intense. Sorry, baby's awake. Baby's awake. Alice is going to go. Wow, so one thing after another. Yeah, so it was, it was really hard during that time to, like, protect the possibility of joy. Because everything was so intense. But, and I don't know how, we did it. We found out I was pregnant with Benji. We didn't know he was going to be Benji. Um, The day of my grandmother's funeral. And my mom's birthday. They were the same, it was the same day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, we actually are running out of time. Well, for the interview. But you know what? if you're open to it, I'd love a part two about, you know, next month about how little sleep you're getting and, and how sure. it's been. But I have one. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding us? Brag on Benji. Gee, that's no, no, we couldn't possibly. Okay. We'll do it. <laughs> okay. But, but I have one really important question I want to end this with. Will, yeah. Will you be disappointed if Benji turns out straight? No. <laughs> I will be disappointed if Benji turns out a Republican. <laughs> like, I think I think if we raise a um, compassionate, kind, strong, straight man, the world will be better off. Yeah. Benji, Alice and I talked about this on a date we were on the other night. I hope Benji grows up to be a good friend. I hope he grows up to be somebody who knows how to work hard. I hope he grows up to be someone who knows what it's like 
to really love something that he gets so excited about it. He can't stop talking about it. Um, he could grow up to be they or she he could grow up to be they he could grow up to be she when I was pregnant I was very emotional I I mean that's another conversation for another time but um I heard this song by the chicks and the chorus of the song he's of me not mine played through my head for most of my pregnancy like this kid is of me but he's not he doesn't belong to me. He belongs to the world. He belongs to himself. I want him to be who he is unapologetically. And he's going to tell us who that is. He's made that incredibly clear. Mm -hmm. We have no say in that. My son, when he was four, learned this great line, Dada, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I could hear like somebody else's parents saying like, well, as long as I'm paying your rent, I am the boss of you. But, totally. but I'm not that kind of dad. So it's amazing to be a parent and to be able to both take what was lovely and what worked from my childhood and leave what didn't and kind of do the opposite. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you Our so pleasure. much. This is so exciting. <laughs> thank you for asking us and we would be happy to, to talk more whenever you like. Well, yeah, thanks you guys. We love your show. Thanks. Yeah. We want to thank you for spending the last hour with us on Pride Nation 101. We hope you'll come back next month and tune in on the first Friday at 7 p.m. on KZYX. We would like to thank Willow Anderson, Vicki Whitehead, Wes from Sneaker Wave DTFB, and Alice, Emily, and Benji O'Rourke Mills for meeting with us and telling us some amazing stories. Follow us on Instagram, too at Pride Nation 101 Radio. You can check us out at disquietmedia.blue. And if you've got some feedback or just want to say hi, email us at pridenation101radio at gmail.com. Also, you can stream this from the archives of kzyx.org. Just go to the date and the time of the episode. You can also hear this show and many other great public affairs shows by subscribing to the KZYX Public Affairs Podcast, wherever you do get your podcasts. We would like to leave you with one closing thought from RuPaul. We are born naked. Everything else is just drag. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolets and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.